in July of 1973, American rock band ZZ Top released their third studio album, Tres Hombres. A decade before the Texas blues trio became MTV stars, ZZ Top got their first taste of national fame with this album, which features one of their biggest hits, a John Lee Hooker-style boogie, a boozy rocker, and a concert anthem. Welcome to the 500 Albums Podcast, where we go through the Rolling Stones' top 500 lists of greatest album of all time, as selected by a panel of musicians, music critics, and journalists, and later published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. My name is Irvin, and today we are looking at number 490 on the list, Tres Hombres by ZZ Top. Welcome to the 11th episode it's a bit late again, I'm sorry for that, but I will assure you that um, the next episode will be on time. Today we're looking at ZZ Top. Uh, of course, I think most people know who they are. I think most people have seen either a music video or pictures or, or some kind of media that uh, kind of parodied them or featured them with their long beards, sunglasses, hats, guitars, just like a whole big show around it. And that's also kind of where I know them from. Um, I also know them from Guitar Hero, actually, the game, uh, which featured some of their music. I didn't know that much about them. I just kind of thought that they were, in a way, parodying the big rock and roll music, which in part they are doing, but they also take it quite seriously. So it was really interesting to see where they actually came from, what they do, what they stand for, and also just to get into this album, which is very iconic and legendary for them. So yeah, let's get into it. ZZ Top is an American rock band from Houston, Texas. The band was formed in 1969 by its original members Billy Gibbons, Lanier Gregg and Dan Mitchell. Billy Gibbons, the founding member, was involved with music from a very young age. Because when he was growing up, he was raised in a very musical family. And during his childhood, he saw many legendary artists perform because of his father. He got his own electric guitar at age 13. And during this time, he was mainly influenced by blues musician Jimmy Reed. He would later go to art school, and this is where he started his first bands. Most notably, a psychedelic blues rock group called The Moving Sidewalks. And during this time, he also became friends with the, of course, legendary guitarist Jimi Hendrix. And at some point, he actually was able to open up for Jimi Hendrix for his American tour with the Jimi Hendrix experience. And there are even rumors that Jimi Hendrix claimed that Gibbons was the best guitarist that he knew. His old project, The Moving Sidewalks, kind of formed into ZZ Top. And how the group came to this name is a bit of a contention point. But one of the story goes that one day Gibbons was looking at some concert posters that were hanging on the walls of the apartment that the band shared. And here he saw the names of the artist B.B. King and ZZ Hill. And he thought it would be a good idea to combine these names into a name for their own band, ZZ King. Now, while doing this, they found it to be a bit too close to the original names. 
So instead, Gibbons thought of CZ top because, quote, King is going at the top. Now, almost immediately after ZZ Top was officially named and formed, there were some lineup changes. And this eventually led to the lineup that still remains to this day, with Billy Gibbons on guitar and vocals, Frank Baird on drums, and Dusty Hill on bass and vocals. And the latter two were originally members of the band American Blues. And they were actually signed to the same label as Gibbons' previous band, The Moving Sidewalks. Now this band American Blues was mostly active in the Dallas area in Texas also. And after they moved to Houston is when they joined ZZ Top. They initially struggled to close on a record deal and instead they just toured around for a few years until they were gonna get picked up. But I'll talk more about these events later. ZZ Top's sound is very characteristic Although being heavily aligned with blues rock, their earlier style was quite heavy and very rhythmic, often described as booyah-like. A lot of distorted guitars, big sounds, and it's really something that wasn't as mainstream in the blues music at this point. Now, throughout the time, their sound evolved into a bit more, maybe, mainstream sound including some electronic elements, and this especially happened during the 80s, as with most bands, with the use of synthesizers and drum machines and that kind of stuff. CZ Top's lyrics usually include some tongue-in-cheek humor, sexual innuendos, and stuff about their Texas roots and stories about their childhood or adolescence. Not only their music makes them unique, however, as I said before, I think everyone would be able to recognize ZZ Top with, by seeing a picture or video of them because of their long beards, big hats, sunglasses, just their overall appearance. And this is something that really came into the public eye when they got a lot of airtime on MTV during the 80s. And this also led to them being featured in multiple TV shows and movies, either featuring as themselves or people parodying them. Now, over their career, ZZ Top has released 15 studio albums, several live albums, and a few compilation albums. And they are still performing to this day. Well, maybe not right now, but normally they would. The group has also been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they have been mostly awarded for their music videos and not so much for their music in general. And most recently, there was also a documentary released about the history of the band. But um, sadly, I could not get my hands on it. But I would definitely recommend checking it out because I've seen the trailer and from what I've read about it, it's really interesting. It's called That Little Old Band from Texas. And this one was actually nominated for a Grammy this year. So let's look at some of the releases that came before Tres Hombres. ZZ Top's first release came in 1969 with their single Salt Lick and its B-side Miller's Farm. For this release, there was not really any interest from any major label, but they were picked up by, um, by a British label, London Records, in 1970. And after signing their deal with them, they played their first show labeled as ZZ Top on February 10th in Beaumont, Texas. 
The group toured for a few months after eventually going into the studio to record their debut album that is rightfully named ZZ Top's first album. And Gibbons revealed that they named the album this way because they wanted everyone to know that there would be more albums coming, even though they were not sure that they would even be allowed to record more under this label and that they had any chance of recording anymore. But still, CZ Top wanted the album to be an extension of what they normally would do on stage and tried to keep things as natural as possible while still trying to make use of some studio tools that were given to them. The first album showcases their humor very well, but also their blues influences. It did not manage to make them stand out that much yet and it didn't really see much commercial success. They continued touring though, and they actually got the opportunity to release a second album, namely Rio Grande Mud. And this one came out in 1972. Now compared to the previous record, this one was written with a bit more sincerity, taken from experiences of on the road and something that's a bit more personal and uh, less humorous in a way. The album also featured a bit heavier sound and this sound also further developed on the album we're talking about this week. Rio Grande Mud spawned their first charting single called Francine and this song reached number 69 on the Billboard charts. Before we get into the album, let's look at what was happening in the world. ZZ Top were originally located in Texas before recording this album in Memphis. And if you look at Texas surrounding the time that the album came out, they saw a huge growth in the oil industry during this time due to the Arab oil embargo. And in this embargo, a lot of Western countries were blocked off from the oil streams that were coming in from the Middle East. And the United States, among other countries, were forced to start producing more oil themselves. Which meant that a lot of jobs were opening up in Texas where the oil was obtained in the United States. So a lot of people would move from the country to the South to work within the oil industry there in Texas with a lot of consequences, of course. Now, if you look at Memphis, the city that the album was actually recorded at, was a very important place, especially in the 1960s for the civil rights movement. I kind of explored it on the previous episode about Albert King, uh, who also recorded his album during the late 60s there. So I definitely recommend checking that out and listening to that if you want to know more about it. But if we look at the 1970s, so a few years later, the city made a lot of efforts to desegregate public services, such as schools, transport, and all that stuff. 
And besides that, the city remained and grew even further as a cultural cornerstone of the American South, with many influential musicians and artists operating out of Memphis at this time. Now, if you look at the genre of music that ZZ Top were a part of, they can be best categorized as boogie rock and blues rock. And especially during the era of this album's release, boogie rock was a type of blues music that became very prevalent. And in the late 1960s, it was mainly inspired by boogie woogie music that was initially popularized in the 1920s and 1940s by artists such as John Lee Hooker. Now, besides ZZ Top, there were some other important artists, of course, within the genre. Some examples of these are Canned Heat, who released their 1968 album Boogie with Canned Heat, and Norman Greenbaum with his 1969 release Spirit in the Sky. Now, if we also look at the Southern rock genre, something that also kind of overlaps with ZZ Top's style, a notable group within this genre is the Allman Brothers Band, Dwayne Allman from the Allman Brothers Band, who we actually hit upon in our episode about Boss Skaggs, so interesting to see how they all connect in some way. So now that we got all of that out of the way, let's look at the album. So as I kind of mentioned before, ZZ Top was about to record their third album in Texas, just like their previous releases. But after playing the Overton Park Blues Festival in Memphis, Tennessee, they met Memphis Robert Johnson, who told them that Led Zeppelin had just finished mixing their album in the city. And because of this, they were persuaded to do the same. So, they took the tapes they already recorded in Texas and brought them to Ardent Recording Studios in Memphis to finish the recordings of this record. But when they got there, there was not a lot of personnel, and so they decided to keep it a bit smaller during the recording. There were the original three band members, there was an additional musician, James Harmon, who played on a few tracks, there was the producer, Bill Hamm, who was also their manager, and then there were the engineers Robin Bryan and Terry Manning. And the latter of these, Terry Manning, actually engineered and mixed Led Zeppelin's third record. And he described his experience of this album as follows. Quote, Billy just loved the sound of that album, and it turned out that he was also putting out feelers to work with me. So, I wasn't surprised at the quality of the songs that they were playing or the sound, I was already a fan. And it's always nice when you can work on something you really love like that." End quote. And about actually meeting and working with Gibbons, he said the following, quote, My first meeting was with Billy and Bill Ham. I didn't meet the whole band the first time. That's when Billy brought the tapes in. The impression you get meeting Billy, and then probably now, has always been that he's an incredibly intelligent person. Of course, he's a nut, in a great way. We're all nuts in the music business. He's got his own flamboyance and way of doing things. But underneath, that's where it's a very intelligent, philosophically based person who is interested in the world and the ethereal things just as much as the things that you can reach out and see and touch. And I think it shows in his writing and playing especially. 
There's quite a depth there, so it was impressive to meet him." End quote. The sessions in the studio would usually start just after noon and then they would work just after midnight, but sometimes Billy Gibbons and Terry Manning would stay in the studio alone, working 10 to 16 hours a day. And as the primary songwriter and composer, Gibbons usually had a good idea of the sound that he wanted and it proved out to work in a quite smooth recording process with a few disagreements along the way, but usually pretty good. Now the album cover of Tres Hombres was designed by Bill Narum, or Narum, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And it features just the green background with the text on it, which is a bit iconic, maybe a bit 70s of course. And it also shows the three pictures of the three band members. That's of course a good representation of the album's name, Tres Hombres, which translates into three men. The music on the album continues the trend of their previous release, with heavy blues inspired sound and a lot of rhythmic elements, creating a very iconic and unique boogie rock sound. And as I mentioned, the initial recordings were done in Texas, where after the band moved to Memphis to finish the recordings. And just like they did with their previous records, they wanted once again to have this music be an extension of their live performances. So most of their songs were actually recorded live and then some takes were made in or put in so they could have the best versions of it. And little editing and overdubs were done in Memphis, such as drum tom rolls, some guitar solos and some vocals here and there. Now looking at the songs, Tres Hombres features some bluesy shuffles, some ballads, some gut bucket rocking and some offbeat humor. And all of this put together makes a perfect blend of what makes ZZ Top and this album outstanding. So let's actually look at some of these tracks. Starting off with the opening tracks, and I say tracks because they're kind of long together in a way. And they are Waiting for the Blues and Jesus Just Left Chicago. And the former is a pretty straightforward blues rock track with some interesting rhythmic takes. And it has a really great guitar solo as well. And bass player Dusty Hill later told in an interview that this is a true working man's song. Inspired from the time that he took the bus from Austin to Houston. And where he met some interesting folks around the trip. Now, I say that they were combined and kind of belong together because the two tracks were often played as one on radio stations. And this is because there's a fluid transition from the first to the second track. Now, journalists have often said that this transition was an editing mistake, but the engineer Terry Manning revealed that this was no accident. After trying to figure out how to piece together the timing of both songs for a smooth transition, he came with this edit. And first it didn't land very well, but after redoing it and hearing it again, 
the band agreed that this was the right way to go. Now the second track, Jesus Left Chicago, is also some straightforward blues rock track. And it was inspired by Gibbon's friend who uttered this phrase during a phone call that he had with him. And this song is very much inspired by Robert Johnson and it reflects the way that rock and roll music was first shunned by the Christian community. But it later became fully accepted with the coming of Elvis Presley. The following noteworthy track is definitely one of my favorites, Master of Sparks. And this song is based on a true story, which Gibbons later told in an interview with Sound Magazine. Quote, A good friend and I put our heads together one day and went out of town to his folk spread. We would weld a bunch of sucker gauge into a steel cage, a ball of sorts. We put a door on it. A seatbelt on a bucket seat. It even had shock absorbers to cushion the points of impact. Then we'd get drunk and roll this thing out of the back of a pickup truck. About a 50 mile an hour. And then it would hit the ground. It would send up a rooster tail of sparks. A hundred feet in the air. Unquote. And you can definitely tell that this story is translated into the song. The thing that makes this song really good to me is just the riff and tempo of this song. It feels slightly offbeat, but it builds up the tension doing it this way. And it's just a great sounding song overall. And in the back of the song, you can hear what seems like to be a slide guitar, which even builds the tension even further. And the storytelling with the vocals that Gibbons does during this song works great. And it really conveys the story as a true event as well. track I want to talk about is the song that most people would recognize and know from this album. And this is probably because it was the only single that was released from this album, but also just because it's so legendary. And it's of course the song Lagrange. Now, of course, it's in instantly recognizable for its iconic riff and vocals. Now, this song is about the infamous brothel in Lagrange, Texas, named the Chicken Ranch. And this 
brothel was in business from 1905 till 1973. And note this final year, the same year that the album was released. Because of the success of the single, journalists would start to seek out the brothel and start reporting on it. And this grabbed the attention of some authorities who eventually shut the place down to the dismay of the local politicians who were actually making money off of this. Now, the place was later in the inspiration for a Broadway musical called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. This song is very reminiscent of a traditional boogie blues rhythm used by John Lee Hooker. And the copyright holder of this rhythm unsuccessfully sued ZZ Top. The rhythm was claimed to be in the public domain, so no rights would, could, could be given to the original copyright holder. Tres Hombres was released in July of 1973 and this album proved to be a big success for ZZ Top. The initial reception was lukewarm, however. Rolling Stone magazine wrote the following, quote, The whole southern rock and roll sound seems to be catching on as fast as a swing of potato liquor reaching the brain. ZZ Top make no bones about being cowboys who used to be in the psychedelic music scene who have recently discovered the joys of guzzling beer and driving their cars and bikes at 110 miles an hour. Trace Hombres is a definite step back to their white blues roots. ZZ Top have shown in all three of their recordings the dynamic rhythms that only the finest of the three-piece bands can cook up. Trace Hombres was recorded with their live performances in mind. Minimal echo and lots of live-sounding jamming. ZZ Top seemed to be the least one of the most inventive of the three-piece records, but they are only one of several competent southern rocking bands. I do wonder when the audiences will get tired of hearing the same." End quote. Bit of a bitter review, but of course, they still had a lot of success. And this was in part due to the single Lagrange, and Trace Hombres was a commercial success anyway. It peaked at number 8 at the Billboard 200 and it was received very well by their audiences. And so the band embarked on a very successful tour and recorded a few live tracks and a few studio songs shortly after, which featured on the 1975 follow-up album Fandango. And the single Tush from this album became a big hit establishing the band even further. And even though the follow-up album was not as big of a success as the previous record, the band still went on a tour called the Worldwide Texas Tour, which featured a giant stage in the shape of the state Texas. Really interesting to see, you should definitely look it up. Um, so shortly after that tour, they would take a break, which would eventually last for two years. And after this break, the band was picked up by Warner Brothers Records. And they released another successful album called Duguello. And with this release and with their new deal, they were actually able to tour in Europe for the first time. 
And in Europe, ZZ Top became familiarized and acquainted with synthesizers and the music that was using those instruments. And by this, Billy Gibbons was inspired to start incorporating it into their own music. And this would eventually lead into even more successful albums and singles, which I will tell more about when we get to the album Eliminator, which we'll feature later on the podcast. Now, parallel to their musical success, they also became very iconic because of their physical appearance. After they took the break, they decided to grow their beards out and wear different outfits on stage, making it even more flamboyant and, and grand. And this physical appearance, which featured in their music videos, really helped their worldwide recognition. The band saw huge successes in the 1980s with their new sound and their appearance. But eventually, in the 1990s, they would go back to their guitar-driven music. And since the turn of the century, the band has not been as active anymore, of course. They've, been, they've become older. But they still released two albums. And the most recent one was released in 2012. Now, there have been talks for another album. But there's nothing known about that yet. And nothing definite yet. But the band members said that they have written some new songs. So... So hopefully that will be released soon. Now the most recent release is what I talked about earlier, a documentary called The Little Old Band from Texas. And I think it's definitely worth checking that out. Retrospectively, the band has been praised endlessly for their unique music performance and appearance. As I said, they've been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and are often seen as legends in the Southern rock and roll genre. Their music and likeness have been parried and used countless times in different movies, TV shows and video games such as Back to the Future Part 3, The Simpsons, King of the Hill and the video game Guitar Hero where I got to know them of course with Lagrange. In terms of influence on different artists, they have of course been an immense influence on some groove and blues rooted musicians some musicians that saw a lot of success in the late 90s and early 2000s with the revival of garage rock as well and some examples are josh home from queens of the stone age and dan auerbach from the black keys both have expressed that the musical style had been impacted by cc top a lot and i think you can definitely hear that in some of their own music and rhythms and riffs they they play now, if you look a bit before the release of this album, Gibbons' earlier band, The Moving Sidewalks, had also been a very important band within the 1960s garage rock movement. And the label that he was on, 13th Floor Elevators, featured some artists that weren't really mainstream within Texas, but did somewhat well in other parts of the country. And because of ZZ Top, they were able to also expand and get uh, some bigger success all across the world. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you listen to it. You can tell your friends about it. And you can also rate the podcast five stars in the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you would like to see some updates to see what episode is released, what album we're talking about. Um, And you can also email me with some of your favorite tracks of this album, uh, of the album to come. 
any other questions you have, any other suggestions you have. And you can, of course, email me on 500albumspod at gmail.com. And then next week, we'll be looking at number 489, which is Yo, Bum Rush the Show by Public Enemy. So make sure to listen to that album, and I'll see you then. Bye.